good morning. How you guys doing? Fantastic. I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. And I just want to say just a special shout out. If this is your first time actually at one church or your first time ever at church like ever, I'm so glad you're here today because we're going to be looking at some stuff that's going to be really, really exciting. And I think it's going to make us all chuckle. Um, Before we kind of get into the meat of it, I want to let you guys know we're going to be in the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have the words up on the screen. Um, There's also a Bible app that you can download called YouVersion, and it's a free download on any of your smartphones, and you can follow along with us in the live events there. So I just want to just kind of take a brief uh, overview of kind of where we're going in this series and kind of, to be honest with you, where our minds are at during this season had a really fun time in the first service talking about this because we are getting in the throes of political season, all right? Now, I know some people say that, you know, p- politics and religion don't mix, and um, uh, we're going to talk about that today uh, because this idea so many times that we have parts of our life that religion can mix with, and then that we have parts of our life that religion is not supposed to mix with. There's a, there's a word in the Greek that talks about that type of thinking. It's called jacked up thinking, all right? Because if, if, if we're really going to have a relationship with God and we really do believe the Bible, then it needs to permeate every area of our life, including voting and stuff like that. So let's just go ahead and talk about that. How many of y'all really, really like, like when we have a presidential election year and you like, you know, listening to the primaries and speeches and stuff? Let me see your hands. All right, about maybe three. All right, that's cool. How many of y'all are just ready for it all to be over? Let me see your hands. Dear Lord, okay. <clears throat> Very good. Well, let me tell you, I want to talk about, the, because I, whether or not you vote Democrat or Republican, in a lot of ways, from this series, it's going to be irrelevant. Um, I, you know, some people say you should vote this way or that way, and I'll tell you, I feel like from hands down, we've been sold a lot. And let me tell you the lie that I think we've been sold, that the way to change America is by voting in a person or by voting out a person. The way to really change America is by voting in a political party or voting out a political party. And we've been sold this lie of the two-political party system that if we really want change, then we have to be able to vote this person in or out, that it's about Democrats or Republicans, donkeys or elephants, Obama or Romney. And i got to be honest with you, the best way for change to happen in this country is not change in the White House, but change in your house. You see, we as Christians, we who people who like normally go to church, people who like bring their Bibles, people who say, you know what, I go to church somewhere, the biggest problem in America is us. It's not Obama or Romney or Senate or Republicans or Democrats or Independents or Ron Paul. It is me and it is you. Because we're going to be looking at a guy in, by the name of Daniel who literally changed his culture and it was an awful culture that he was involved in. It was an ungodly, it was, it was pluralistic, it was a really messed up culture. And this guy not only survived in that culture, he thrived. And he was able to change the culture from the inside out. Now, if you grow up in church, you probably know what I'm getting ready to say because, and you can even, you know, finish it for me. That we're to be in the world, but what? Not of the world, exactly right. 
Let me tell you where I think a lot of Christians are at, is that we're not even of the world. We're not in the world. We're not of the world. We just, we ha- we're, I mean, we're not really engaging our society. We're not really engaging our culture. We're not in the world. And we're going to be looking at this guy by the name of Daniel who was smacked. He couldn't have been more in the world. But yet, the in the world part that he lived in, his life, he transformed it. And we're going to see just how radically he transformed it today. Now, today... What we're going to be looking at is that you can change your world by your work. By your work. That you can change your influence, your world, in your work. And I'm going to throw this verse up there, and then the rest of the verses are going to be in Daniel. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and it says this. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you are working for who? The Lord, rather than for people. Let me tell you what this verse is saying. is that God cares what you do Monday through Friday. God cares what you do Monday through Friday, not just Sunday morning. You see, we have this idea that, you know what, God only cares about the work of preachers and missionaries. That God really cares about what they do because what they do is really important. But you know what, what I do is not that important because I'm an IT guy. You know, I work in a cubicle. Uh, I have my own lawn care business. Uh, I'm a soldier. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Um, whatever that is. That God really doesn't care about those people because he really, really likes pastors and missionaries. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. How many of y'all are pastors in here today? All right, not that many of us. Let me just say this. If you're not a pastor in here today, we're talking to you because Daniel was not a pastor. He wasn't like clergy. He had a real job. Anybody know what I'm saying? All right, some of you are like, pastor, your problem is you need a real job. All right, I'm just saying, all right, I know what you're thinking. I get your emails, all right? So I'm just telling you, this is for real job, real life people. And if you're struggling at being a Christian or living the Bible or expressing God's love as a soldier or as a housewife or in that cubicle or in in, in your company just got bought out, whatever it is, I'm telling you, you are in the right place. Now, Daniel was a prophet. And we just got finished looking at a book last week for the past four weeks. What were we looking at? Jonah. Jonah was also a prophet. Daniel was a little bit different prophet in that when God told Daniel to do something, he actually did it. Jonah was a jackleg preacher. Uh, he was messed up. But what we're going to be doing is, and what makes Daniel so amazing is the context. Because in Daniel chapter 1, we read about this guy named Daniel in the darkest time in Israel's history. It couldn't have been any darker. Imagine this. If a third world country, if Afghanistan or if China came over to America and besieged and destroyed Washington, D.C., what would that do to your faith? What would that do to your patriotism? Because what we're going to be reading today is exactly what happened to Daniel. It didn't happen in D.C. He wasn't living here in America. He was living in Israel, and the capital of Israel was Jerusalem. And it's 605 B.C. I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to dig down deep. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now that just means he surrounds it. He's not letting people in and out. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. 
and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in his treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. But Daniel was called Belteshar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and then Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. When you hear the word Daniel, what story do you naturally drift towards? The lines, Dan, exactly right. But I want to just say very quickly today that if Daniel had not done these principles we're going to look at today in Daniel chapter 1, the line of lines, Dan, would have never happened. And we would not be reading a book called Daniel. The year is 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has just come from defeating the uh, Egyptians at Carchemish. And as he's traveling back to Babylon, he comes in at 605 B.C. He destroys a lot of Jerusalem. He takes and he rips children away from their parents. And these kids, Daniel and his three friends, when when we think of Daniel in the lion's den, we we picture this old dude with a beard. And in that time of Daniel's life, he was old. But here, Daniel, let me tell you how old he is. He's he's around 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. How many of y'all have kids that age? Now think about that, guys. Somebody has come into your house, have pulled your children apart from you, and taken them 600 miles away to a place called Babylon, a place that's a mega city. Over 500,000 people are living in Babylon. It was the largest city of its day. There are over 43 temples to various gods, one of them being Marduk. Babylon was high octane. If you were a mover and a shaker, you lived in Babylon. It was the center of knowledge, the center of power. It was the cultural hub of its day. It's kind of like taking Wall Street, Las Vegas, Harvard, and Hollywood and putting it all in one city. I mean, Babylon It was on the map. And the person in charge of Babylon was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Neb thought he was the bomb. He thought he was all that. And we're going to be looking. Look at what it says back in verse 1. I love what it says here because Neb thinks he is conquering. He's blowing and going. But who's really giving it to him? Let's look at it. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah. By the way, that's the good guy, King Jehoiakim. He's, in, he's, he's, he's the king over God's people, the Israelites, all right, where Daniel's at. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who gave? Who? 
the Lord. In the midst of a world where it seems like God doesn't make any sense, the author, right off the start, says God is still in control. None of this has happened without first passing through God's hands. Verse 2. So Nebuchadnezzar took back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Nebuchadnezzar comes into God's temple, and he's, and he's expecting, I'm going to find an idol, and I'm going to grab your idol, and I'm going to take it back with me, because I am better than your God. That's his mindset. And he comes in there, and they don't have no idols. So he's looking. He says, well, what are we going to take? Well, let's take the offering buckets with the felt on the bottom. We're going to grab those. And let's grab the, 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 um, the gold and the basins and stuff like that. This may have been the time when the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken away before Indiana Jones grabbed it. I don't know. I'm just saying. All right, but here, Nebuchadnezzar grabs, I'm going to grab all your mess, and I'm going to take it back, and I'm going to put it in the house of my God, basically saying my God is bigger than your God. And, and who allowed it to happen? God did. How did Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego get to Babylon? God got them there. The reason why is God put them in, in Babylon. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, what's amazing, if we're going to change our world, if we're going to ch- change our society, then we've got to go with this first point. And this first point is simply this, that we have to realize that God is in control of the details of our lives. God is in control of the details of our lives. You've got to believe that. Stuff just don't happen by chance. It's not karma. It happens because God said this will happen. And he's involved in the details of our lives. Some of you don't believe that. You believe, okay, God, God may be involved in the details of the pastor's life. But you don't seem to understand, I'm unemployed right now. God don't care about me. You're wrong. He does. And he wants to use you. You see, some of you, you're struggling because, you know, you, you don't, you're out of a job because somebody bought out your company. And you're thinking, well, the company, you know, it just happened. No, no, no. God is in control of every detail of your life. There's other people. There may be a middle schooler here today and said, you know what? I don't want to be here. I was living in Fayetteville. My dad is in the Army at Fort Bragg, and they moved him here to Fort Campbell. I don't like these people. I don't like Clarksville. And you need to understand, you don't have to like it. But maybe, just maybe, the reason why you're here is because God wanted you in a middle school on Fort Campbell. That he wants you to change your circumstance. It has nothing to do with your dad. It may have everything to happen to do with a 13-year-old teenager in middle school. You see, God is in control of every detail of your life. God is in your work. God wants to be involved in your work. I got a good friend of mine who used to be my apprentice a couple of small groups ago, and one of the big things he asked me, he says, Chris, how can I be a soldier and be a Christian at the same time? And we see this as an either-or, but you need to know that God is in the circumstances and none of us are victims of our circumstances. This happens because God wants it to happen. And this isn't even written about a pastor. This is written about a 13-year-old kid who's not a pastor. He's in the real world. I mean, if, this, if these principles work for a guy, a 13-year-old kid, living in Babylon, a godless, ungodly culture, and it works for him, maybe it'll work for you. Just maybe. Because here's the thing. We have this idea that they're sacred and they're secular. 
that God loves my Sunday morning worship time, but he really doesn't care about how I file pieces of paper Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday. God doesn't care who I, what I'm doing as a soldier. All right? God doesn't care. And you need to know that is exactly opposite. God does care. There is no sacred and secular division. It's all God. It's all life, and God created life. And, I mean, God is sovereign. God's in control. And that is really the big theme of the book of Daniel. See, King Nebuchadnezzar has his hand on the throttle, and he says, I'm all that. And God's going, the reason why you all that is I'm, I'm letting you be all that. That's Daniel 4. Y'all going to need to come to that one. It's going to be some good time. I mean, God is in control. Churchy word for that is he's sovereign. That means he's in control. Okay? Let me just also go political here. You know, you need to vote. You need to vote. But let me just say this. Whether or not your guy or gal gets into the White House, you know who's in control? I'm sorry, who? God's in control. And you see, the Bible says we're to pray for those in authority, those over us. And let me tell you, you should vote, but don't get, don't get your drawers in a wad if your guy doesn't get in there. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Because in the end, who's in control? God's in control. Let me tell you, a great verse, Proverbs 21.1. I love this verse. It says this, just as water is turned into irrigation ditches, so the Lord directs the king's thoughts. He moves them wherever he wishes. Let me paraphrase that. Just as water is turned into irrigation ditches, so the Lord directs a president's thoughts. He moves them wherever he wishes. You see, whether it's Obama or Romney, that's not the change America needs. The change is you and me saying, I am not going to give in. I am not going to compromise. I am going to stand out, and I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do life right. And look at this. Look at how this happens. I love this right here. In, in verse 3, it says, The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Let me say, the second point is, if you really want to change your surroundings, if you want to change your work, then you got to do this. You have to be excellent, and you have to have character. you got to do things with excellence, and you got to have character. Excellence and character. Let me just, we need to be excellent. Let me start right there. We have to get past the fact that because we're Christians, we need to be second best at everything because we're Christians. We got to get past that fact. I remember growing up in church, and you know they would do the flannel graph, and they'd do Daniel and this. And you know what? I was watching TV at the time. I know it was invented a while back, but they still had flannel graphs. And everybody said, "Well, that's just the church. They do things second best." Let me tell you, we as Christians should do things with excellence. We should be the best of the best of the best. But we shouldn't go into somebody and say, you know what, you need to hire me because I'm a Christian. No, no, no. You need to hire me because I'm excellent. And I do good work. And I have character. Look at what it says in verse 4. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king's palace. That's Daniel's resume. What's yours? Well, I, I play solitaire at work. 
But, man, I tell you, I'm updating my Facebook status like the fashizzle. I'm just saying. Aren't you supposed to be working? But Yeah, I'm on Facebook, baby. I, I'm playing Farmville. By the way, don't ever send me Farmville request. <laughs> ever! Counseling, I need it. All right. Let me tell you. These guys were led by their excellence and followed that with character. And then after that, faith and devotion to God. But let me tell you, that didn't come first. They didn't get hired. They didn't get brought into the king's palace because, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus. I got a Christian bumper sticker. Did you see my fish on the back of my chariot? No, no, no. They came, they got into King Nebuchadnezzar's influence because they were good at what they were doing. Let me tell you, let me just stop right here. If I had a choice between getting a Christian plumber who don't plumb very well or a non-Christian plumber that will actually fix my toilet, you know who I'm going to pick? The non-Christian plumber. You want to know why? Because I got toilet problems. Thanks for coming to one church. Just saying. Right? Just hang out with me. If, 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 if I call somebody and I got stuff running down my hall, some of you going, that's nasty. I, I really don't. This is just, it, it's a preacher story, okay? I'm just telling you. But if I, if I got stuff running down my hall and I have to choose somebody that has a little ichthus, a little fish symbol, who don't do that well, or somebody who doesn't have that but will do it, I would rather somebody says, you know what, um, Chris, you're a pastor? Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. Hey, what did you read? What did you have in your quiet time? Tell me, hey, what do you think about Daniel chapter 7? Dude, I, listen, can we talk about this later? I got stuff floating in the hallway. Oh, but man, I love Chris Tom. I love listening to some good Christian music. That's good. Can you plunge my toilet? You see, I would rather have somebody come in and say, uh, Mr. Edmondson, how you doing? Uh, my name's Jim, and I'm with Jim's uh, plumber service. And I see you got a problem here. Hey, Bubba, go get the plunger. We're going to be in your house in 45 minutes. We're going to have everything cleaned up, and you won't have to call us back again because we do things with excellence. That is how we as Christians should operate our business. Let me tell you, I I lived in Dallas and they had something called the Christian Yellow Pages. And their mindset was, because we're a Christian, you need, and and if you're a Christian, we're Christian, you need to hire us first. The problem is, a lot of the people I would hire to that, I wouldn't want in my house ever. You know what I'm saying? And I tell you, I got a good friend who runs sound. His name's Luther. One of the things Luther says is you can always tell people who usually advertise Christianity in their business is you, those are people you got to watch out for because they'll swipe you and they'll swindle you. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't. We should be known by doing things with excellence, and then we want to back that up with character because I don't want a plumber who comes in who's excellent, but while my back's turned, he's going to take something off my counter. I want a guy who's excellent. I want a lady who can back that up with character. And then our opportunity is to come behind and say, you know what? The reason why I have excellence of character is because I love Jesus. But I, do, I, I think we're over the time when somebody comes in and you know, okay, yeah, I love Jesus and everything, but you don't do a good job and you leave mess everywhere. And oh, wait, hey, let me tell you about one church. That's the church I go to. If that's how you operate your business, I've got two or three other churches you can say you're from. Give them those names. Don't even mention one church. I'm just saying. See me after the service. I'll give you names. All right? People want to see excellence, and they want to back it up with character. And I hope this church becomes a haven for people who are the best of the best of the best at what they do. I want to see this church filled with soldiers who are good leaders. 
because they're the best at what they do. I want to see this church filled with godly women who said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to be the best lawyer, the best civic servant. I'm going to be the best at whatever I do. And I want this to be the best of the best because that's what God calls us to. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from their own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and they were entered into the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. But right, right now, aren't y'all glad that y'all end up on this stage trying to pronounce these names? I'm just saying. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. These guys are just 13, 14, 15 years old. They've been pulled out of their beds from their homes in Jerusalem. Their parents have probably been killed. And they've been taken away with no hope of ever seeing them ever again. And they, for the next 65 years, they're going to live their entire life in Babylon. And they stripped their names away. And their, their Hebrew names had so much meaning. Daniel. Let's talk about that one. Daniel. That word Daniel. How many of y'all named Daniel? Let me see your... All right, no one. All right, cool. Daniel's name meant God is judge. God is judge. They changed his name to Belshazzar, which means may Baal, which was a, a god that the Babylonians believed in, may Baal protect his life. He says, oh, you think God is your judge? Let me tell you, Baal, let Baal protect you. They stripped that meaning of his name. Another one, his, another one of his friends, Hananiah. His name meant God is gracious. I wonder, my guess is probably Hananiah probably didn't think that God was too gracious right now. Because he is in a foreign country, in a foreign land. They changed his name to Shadrach, which means in the command of Aku. Aku was one of those gods that they worshipped. Mishael's name is who is like God. His name was changed to Meshach, who is like Aku, one of the Babylonian gods. Azariah meant God is my help. And I wonder if he's ever wondering, is that really true? God is my help? Because I'm in a foreign land. Some of you right now, you're like, man, I think God is my help, but my circumstances just don't, they're not backing that up. They changed his name to Abednego, which means the servant of Nabu, another one of their gods. Let me tell you what they were, for three years, they were commanded to study astrology and astronomy, to, 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 to really um, study magic and the black arts. And a lot of these weird things, they were mag- almost magicians and wise men, we're going to be learning next week. I mean, it's interesting that Daniel says no where he says no, but he said, you know what, okay, I'll study about your gods. I'll, I'll study about Nabu and Aku and um, Waku and Nabu and whoever. I'm thinking of any other ooze, all right? I'll study him. I'll study him. I'll learn about Zeus and Apollo, and I'll learn about any gods you want me. I'm not going to worship them. I'll learn about them so I can, and hear me, I'll learn about them so I can tell you about my God by using your own gods to do it. You see, We have this idea, and I've I've taught this as a youth pastor, garbage in, garbage out. But that's not what happens here with Daniel. He studied garbage. 
But he did this, and he processed it through a biblical framework, and then he was able to change his culture. But let me show you where he did draw the line. It wasn't studying astronomy or astrology or the magic of the stars. He drew the line not to compromise in verse 8. And that is how we change our world, by not compromising. Look at verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff staff for for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. He said he determined. Everybody say determined. The King James Version says Daniel purposed in his heart. The NIV says Daniel made up his mind. What's the point? Well, let me tell you. The decision may not seem significant, but I just want to say this. The most spiritual thing you can do every day is not come to church. The most spiritual thing you can do is to not pop, you know, pop in a worship CD and sing. The most spiritual thing you can do every day is make decisions. Because decisions are where the rubber meets the road. It's your decisions that will ultimately determine your destiny. And not just big decisions, but little decisions about what are you going to eat? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, what do you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. You see, it's small decisions. This decision may seem, and I'll be honest with you, I probably would have drawn the line, drew the line a while back ago. But he said, no, the food is where I draw the line. He chose not to compromise. And let me tell you, there may be a little bit more there than we give him credit for. Because the Jews had a very strict dietary law. You know, they, they wouldn't eat certain food because they were unclean. But there, I think there's something else going on here as well. Because what they would do is they would take all of this food. It was the king's food. And, I mean, if you think about this, this is interesting. Back in that day, how many, how many meals a day do y'all eat? Three? I had somebody first service say five. I'm like, dear Lord. All right? But my trainer says you eat more meals and you lose weight. That hadn't worked for me. I'm just saying. All right? I think the dude's full of mess. I'm just saying. Anyway, I think it's something about portion size. I don't know. I wasn't listening. So I was gnawing on a chicken leg. Anyway, just dear Jesus. But in that time, in that age, in that time, you were doing good to get one meal a day. And here these guys are, are getting fed the king's food. Steak and chicken and bacon and Coca-Cola maybe. And bacon. And bacon. Yes, Lord. All right, love some bacon, all right? And, 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 and he said, you know what? I'm not going to defile myself with food, with that food. And here's what's really going on here, is what they would do is they would take all this food and they would put it in front of the idol Marduk. And they would ask Marduk to bless the food and then kind of, okay, Marduk, you eat whatever you want to eat. Now, Marduk's an idol, he ain't going to eat nothing, right? So then they take the food and then they'd take it to Daniel and all of these people. And it was like, by them eating the food, they were saying, my food comes for the Babylonian god Marduk. It was just a little compromise, just a little violation, a little idolatry, but Daniel says, not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm not going to compromise. Let me tell you, it's little. if you compromise on little things, you will compromise on what? Big things. And that is our big idea today. When we compromise, we compromise our influence. When we compromise, we compromise our influence. If you want to change your world, if you want to change your group of people you hang out, then you have to stop compromising. 
Let me tell you, when you compromise, you will compromise your influence and what God wants to do with you. And some of you are like, well, I haven't been compromising too much. Some of you have been compromising maybe sexually. It may be that you went too far in a relationship. Or maybe you're kind of looking at some things that you shouldn't be looking at. Others of you, you, you compromise financially. Others, it may be you're compromising your beliefs or your standards. You compromise morally. Let me tell you what happens when we compromise. You see, at one time, Jesus was the center of all of our decision-making. When we start compromising, we start moving Jesus from the center to the periphery, and we start making decisions based upon our own wants, our own needs, and we say, hey, Jesus, why don't you follow me? Jesus, why don't you bless the bad decisions that I'm making? And let me tell you, Jesus won't do it. Jesus, instead of us following Jesus, we resort to asking Jesus to follow us. And he won't do it. And, it's, and if, if I was Daniel, it would be easy to justify a little compromise here. Okay, if I say no to this God, I could lose my head. I could die. I mean, I, I, am I willing to risk everything because of a little bit of Coke and bacon? Right? I mean, come on. Right? I mean, and we, and we, and it, it would just be easy to compromise. And you could, we can tell ourselves rationalizations or rationalize. You know how you spell rationalize? You're telling yourself rational lies. And we make compromises. And when we do, we compromise our future. That's huge. And some of you know exactly where I'm talking about because you, right now, you're sitting there and you have been compromising and compromising and compromising. If you do the right thing, if you refuse to compromise, you invoke the favor of God in your life. You invite God into the equation, and God begins to work on your behalf. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Help me. First two words of verse 9. What do they say? Now God. You see, Daniel says, I am not going to compromise. And the next verse, now God. How many of y'all ever had any now God moments? I have had two. Well, you say, I'm not going to do it, and he shows up. Let me tell you, I've also had some compromising moments, too, where I compromised, and I tried doing it my way, and there wasn't any now God moments. There was now Chris jacked it up moments, right? But look at what it says. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Now, God, if you do the right thing, if you refuse to compromise, you invoke the favor of God, and you are inviting God into your circumstances, into the equation of your life. When you do it God's way. The most important decisions you can make are predecisions. You hear what I'm saying? Let me tell you what a predecision is. A predecision is a decision that you make before the decision. Thanks for coming to one church. <laughs> predecisions. Everybody say predecisions. Predecisions. Let me tell you, there are some decisions you can't make in the heat of the moment because if you wait and you don't make up your mind before then, you will mess it up. You have to make predecisions. Let me tell you a couple of predecisions. Let me just, if you don't make predecisions, you will make poor decisions. Y'all need to be writing that down. That was good. Just saying. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a couple of predecisions I've made. Because I've made poor decisions in my life. Let me tell you a couple of predecisions I made. First one is this. I made the predecision that I wasn't going to have sex until my wedding night. And by God's grace, 
the first person, the only person I've ever had sex was with my wife. On our wedding night, I looked at her and I said, true love done waited long enough. I'm just saying. I was excited. And, has, I, and, and let me tell you, and, and, but there's a point there. Purity paves the way to intimacy. You see, some of you, and I've talked to people because, again, I've counseled, because you gave yourself away to everybody else and you just had a little compromise, now you're married and all of that stuff is just still in the back. And, 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 and you're not intimate, you're not able to be close to your spouse because you weren't pure beforehand. That's huge. That's a pre-decision. You can't make that decision in the back of a car going, what should I do? You've got to make it beforehand. Let me tell you another pre-decision. My wife and I made a pre-decision that divorce is not an option. It's not an option. It doesn't matter how much we hate one another. It doesn't matter how unhappy we are. It doesn't matter if I have the plate and I'm wanting to throw it at her head. <laughs> divorce is not an option. Now, we always joke, murder's an option, but divorce ain't an option. <laughs> Let me tell you. We, we're celebrating 19 years this, this year, this December. And, and I gotta be, I'm not going to lie to you. There are sometimes we do not like each other. There are sometimes I'm unhappy, and she's unhappy. But we made a predecision. We are going to stick it out. Let me tell you another predecision I made. Five years ago, my wife and I made a predecision that every time we get a paycheck, we're going to give... A portion, the very first, we're going to give 10% of it back to God. Now, I say five years ago, the first 14 years, we didn't make pre-decisions. We made poor decisions about our money. But when one church started, we said, enough's enough. We, this is our mindset the first 14 years of our marriage. We're going to give to God what we have left over. If there's any money left over, we're going to give it to him. Now, has that ever worked for anybody? Because there's never money, ever any money what? Left over. It just ain't. Whatever money you got, you're going to spend it. So we said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust God, and we're, the very first thing, I mean, the, the night it's deposited, the next day, 10% out. And i got to be honest with you, I've, I've not regretted a dollar I've spent on the mission and vision of what we're doing as a church. Because I see people's lives changed. We, we, what was so cool, before you guys got in here, the reason why some of y'all were waiting outside, waiting around, we were shooting two baptism stories because we have two people getting baptized next Sunday. We see life change happen all the time. And I'm so glad of the predecision my wife and I made that, you know, we're going to just start giving. And we don't know if we're going to be able to make ends meet, but we're going to trust God. It's a pre-decision. Quick question, what predecision do you need to make right now? What decision do you need to make where you need to start redrawing some boundaries? If you're dating somebody, maybe you've went too far, you need to start redrawing some boundaries. The reason why some of you, the reason why your spiritual life is kind of like a roller coaster is because you've not made pre-decisions. You say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible if I feel like it or if I wake up. No, no, it's a pre-decision. Pre-decisions are huge. It, it's, you cannot change your world if you don't Make predecisions because if you don't make predecisions, you will make poor decisions and you will compromise. Verse 14. Look at this. Daniel's a walking infomercial. Daniel says, Okay, I got it. I'm not going to eat the king's food. So let me give you an option. Infomercial time. Um, by the way, how many of y'all like infomercials? Me either. But I so want to get the tortilla thing that you bake. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. 
Just saying. Don't know where that came from. All right. But Daniel tells to this guy, and he says, hey, listen, for the next 10 days, we're just going to eat fruit and vegetables, and we're going to drink water. And then after we're going to do that for 10 days, and afterwards, I just, you look, you compare. We're not going to try to force religion down your throat, our religion. You just compare and see if we don't measure up to everybody else. Infomercial. And look what it says in verse 14. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. The point? You cannot change your world by compromising. They looked better. Look at what happens the next verse. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Now, quick question. When did, give, when did God give that? After Daniel said, I'm not compromising. You see, some of us, we want God to show up, but God will not show up if we're compromising. Another quick question. If Daniel had compromised here in Daniel chapter 1, there would not have been Daniel chapter 2. In fact, there would not have been a book by the name of Daniel. Because the amazing thing God does in Daniel and his three friends' life is all because of this one small, little bitty, itty decision, we're not going to compromise. Now, some of you, you've been compromising for years, and you need to know this. God is saying, today, stop compromising. Redraw boundaries, make pre-decisions, stop compromising. I'm going to keep on reading. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. That's next week, by the way. Daniel 2. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of the staff brought all of the young men to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one, everybody say no one, no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring the wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them, what does it say? Ten times more capable than any other magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. You see, let me tell you, as, as we close today, we think it has to be an either war. That we can't be a successful soldier, a successful accountant, a successful lawyer, a successful doctor, a successful businessman, if we choose to do it God's way. That we're either going to be a good Christian or a good soldier. We're either going to be a good, we're going to follow Christ, or I'm going to be able to cheat a little bit on my taxes. It's it's an either or, but you're wrong because it's a both and. You see, Daniel had two options. The first option was this. He could have compromised. I mean, think about this. He could have said, you know what, it's just food. I mean, there is bacon. I mean, and not only that, but the God who says not to eat bacon... Where has he gotten us this far? Right? The God who says don't eat bacon, my, my parents were killed. I'm, I'm held captive. I'm going to worship that God? I mean, every, all of us in here, we probably say, yeah, man, just eat it. I mean, everybody else is starving and you eating all this food. Do it. That, he could have compromised. And if he did, there would have never, ever been a book written by the name of Daniel. The other option is this. He could have protested. He could have pulled the God card, 
put their convictions on some poster board and pick at the king. You know, not going to do it. We love Jesus, you know. I mean, whatever that is. He could have played the God card and says, you know, we're not eating it because we're Christians. Kick us out. We don't want to be in your whole king's little training ground because, you know, we're in the king's training ground. And they could have got all religious and all of that, and, but they didn't do that either. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, as churches, that's kind of where we, fall, we fell most of the time. We will protest, but really there's a third option. Let's look at Daniel's third option. The third option he did was this. He didn't protest. He didn't compromise. He came up with a third option. It was simply this. I believe in God. I believe that if you give God a chance, God will prove that he is an amazing God. So here's what I'm proposing. I'm proposing, give us 10 days. Just try it this way. And then you decide. And then he prayed and prayed and prayed, God, make us look good. Make us everything, make them look bad, make us look however you want to pray. Let's apply this today as we, again, we wrap up. Some of you, you're like, okay, Chris, that's good, but next Sunday, I'm not going to be here. I'm working on Sunday. I'm working at a job that I have to work Sunday. And again, you got two things. You can say, you know what, ah, church, it's not that big deal. Eh, big deal. You can compromise. Or you can play the whole God card. Hey, I'm going to contact the head of the organization, and I'm going to plead for religious regions, I need to get off on Sunday. Eh. There's a third option. You can go to your employer and say, you know what, let me tell you. I really would prefer being off on Sundays. Um, But I'm going to leave this up to you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you for the next 30 days. You watch my conduct, you watch my character, you watch my product and what I produce. And if I need to come in another day and not come in on this day, then I will. But you put me to the test. And then after that, you go and you pray like crazy that God would make you favorable to them. Some of you are like, well, that means I'd have to get there on time. That means I couldn't leave five minutes before everything else. That means I'd have to get off Facebook, and I'd actually have to do some work. Guess what? Yeah, you should. You should. Because we are called to be excellent. You see, the question is this. Many times we don't change our culture, we don't change our surroundings because we've never done it God's way. We've compromised. So I'm giving you two challenges as we close. The two challenges are simply this. The first one is this. I want you and me, I want us to write down some pre-decisions that we need to make. Because some of us, we've been compromising for too long, and we need to put up, redraw some boundaries. It may need to be redraw some boundaries with your spouse, redraw some boundaries with your fiancé, redraw some boundaries with your girlfriend or boyfriend, redraw some boundaries with how you do work, how you redraw some, just redraw some boundaries on how you parent, redraw some boundaries on what you spend your money on. We make pre-decisions, and then we don't compromise. That's the thing. I want you to write down some pre-decisions you make. The second challenge I want to give you today is this. Before next Sunday, I want you to read Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because next week, we're going to be looking at these two chapters. And I want you guys' mind to be totally in that and be wrestling with some of this stuff. How many of y'all will read? Thank you. All right. The rest of y'all, I guess thanks for being honest. So, anyway, let me pray for you guys. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, for, um, Lord, that we trust you. Lord, we trust you even in the big things. We trust you. Lord, it's easy to trust you on Sunday mornings. 
It's easy to trust you when we're around, surrounded by Christians, and, and we are able to sing songs, and it's just so much fun. And, but Lord, Monday through Friday, Lord, I, I pray that all of us have seen, caught a glimpse that you care what happens with our work. That you want us to be excellent in everything that we do. And follow that up by character. And Lord, that we would acknowledge that you are in control. Even when things are difficult. Even when things don't quite match up. That you are in control, Jesus. Lord, I pray for this body of believers. Lord, I pray for one church and I pray for all churches everywhere. Meeting all across the city. Lord, I pray that we would be godly men and women that would change our house, that would change our surroundings, change our work, change our family, change our friends. Not because we preached to them, not because we even gave them a track, even though there's nothing wrong with that, God, but, Lord, they they were able to see change because there was change in us. But we love you. I thank you so much for this example of Daniel in the Bible. Let us be Daniels in our generation, in our culture. In Jesus' name, amen.